Chapter Nine of Whispering Smith by Frank Spearman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine The Misunderstanding. No attempt was made to minimize the truth that the blow to the division was a staggering one. The loss of Smoky Creek Bridge put almost a thousand miles of the mountain division out of business. Perishable freight and time freight were diverted to other lines. Passengers were transferred. Lunches were served to them in the deep valley, and they were supplied by an ingenious advertising department with pictures of the historic bridge as it had long stood, and their addresses were taken with the promise of a picture of the ruins. Smoky Creek Bridge had long been famous in mountain song and story. For one generation of western railroad men, it had stood as a monument to the earliest effort to conquer the Rockies with a railroad. Built long before the days of steel, this high and slender link in the first transcontinental line had for thirty years served faithfully at its danger post, only to fall in the end at the hands of a bridge assassin nor has the mystery of its fate ever completely been solved though it is believed to lie with murray sinclair in the frenchman hills the engineering department and the operating department united in a tremendous effort to bring about a resumption of traffic glover's men pulled off construction were sent forward in trainloads dancing's linemen strung arc-lights along the creek until the canyon twinkled at night like a mountain village and men in three shifts worked elbow to elbow unceasingly to run the switchbacks down to the creek bed there by cribbing along the bottom they got in a temporary line train movement was thrown into a spectacle of confusion upon the incessant and well-ordered activities of the road the burning of the bridge fell like the heel of a heavy boot on an ant-hill but the railroad men like ants rose to the emergency and where the possible failed achieved the impossible mcleod spent his days at the creek and his nights at medicine bend with his assistant and his chief dispatcher advising counseling studying out trouble reports and steadying wherever he could the weakened lines of his operating forces he was getting his first taste of the trials of the hardest worked and poorest paid man in the operating department of a railroad the division superintendent to these were added personal annoyances a trainload of duck-bar steers shipped by lance dunning from the crawling stone ranch had been caught west of the bridge the very night of the fire they had been loaded at tipton and shipped to catch a good market and under extravagant promises from the livestock agent of a quick run to chicago when lance dunning learned that his cattle had been caught west of the break and would have to be unloaded he swore up a horse in hot haste and started for medicine ben mcleod who had not closed his eyes for sixty hours had just got into medicine bend from smoky creek and was sitting at his desk buried in a mass of papers but he ordered the cattleman admitted he was in fact eager to meet the manager of the big ranch and the cousin of dixie lance dunning stood above six feet in height 
and was a handsome man, in spite of the hard lines around his eyes as he walked in. But neither his manner nor his expression was amiable. "'Are you Mr. McCloud? I've been here three times this afternoon to see you,' said he, ignoring McCloud's answer and a proffered chair. "'This is your office, isn't it?' McCloud, a little surprised, answered again and civilly. "'It certainly is, but I've been at Smoky Creek for two or three days. What have you done with my cattle?' The duck-bar train was run back to Point of Rocks, and the cattle were unloaded at the yard. Lance Dunning spoke with increasing harshness. "'By whose order was that done? Why wasn't I notified? Have they had feed or water?' All the stock caught west of the bridge were sent back for feed and water by my orders. It has all been taken care of. You should have been notified, certainly. It is the business of the stock agent to see to that. Let me inquire about it while you're here, Mr. Dunning, suggested McCloud, ringing for his clerk. Dunning lost no time in expressing himself. I don't want my cattle held at Point of Rocks, he said angrily. Your point of rocks yards are infected. My cattle shouldn't have been sent there. Oh, no, the old yards where they had a touch of fever were burned off the face of the earth a year ago. The new yards are perfectly sanitary. The loss of the bridge has crippled us, you know. Your cattle are being well cared for, Mr. Dunning, and if you doubt it, you may go up and give our men any orders you like in the matter at our expense. "'You're taking altogether too much on yourself "'when you run my stock over the country in this way,' "'exclaimed Dunning, refusing to be placated. "'How am I to get to Point of Rocks? Walk there?' "'Not at all,' returned McCloud, "'ringing up his clerk and asking for a pass, "'which was brought back in a moment, and handed to Dunning. "'The cattle,' continued McCloud, "'can be run down, unloaded,' and driven around the break to-morrow, with a loss of only two days. In the meantime, I lose my market. It's too bad, certainly, but I suppose it will be several days before we can get a line across Smoky Creek. Why weren't the cattle sent through that way yesterday? What have they been held at Point of Rocks for? I call the thing badly managed. We couldn't get the empty cars up from Piedmont for the transfer until today. Empties are very scarce everywhere now. There always have been empties here when they were wanted until lately. There's been no head or tail to anything on this division for six months. I'm sorry that you have that impression. That impression is very general, declared the stockman with an oath. And if you keep on discharging the only men on this division that are competent to handle a break like this, it is likely to continue. Just a moment, McCloud's finger rose pointedly. My failure to please you in caring for your stock in an emergency may be properly a matter for comment. Your opinion as to the way I'm running this division is, of course, your own. But don't attempt to criticize the retention or discharge of any man on my payroll. Dunning strode toward him. I'm a shipper on this line. When it suits me to criticize you or your methods or anybody else's, I expect to do so, he retorted in high tones. But you cannot tell me how to run my business, thundered McLeod, leaning over the table in front of him. 
as the two men glared at each other rooney lee opened the door his surprise at the situation amounted to consternation he shuffled to the corner of the room and while macleod and dunning engaged hotly again rooney from the corner threw a shot of his own into the quarrel on time he roared the angry men turned what's on time asked macleod curtly number one she's in and changing engines i told them you were going west declared rooney in so deep tones that his fiction would never have been suspected if his cue had been my lord the conductor waits it could not have been rung in more opportunely dunning to emphasize without a further word his disgust for the situation and his contempt for the management tore into scraps the pass that had been given him threw the scraps on the floor took a cigar from his pocket and lighted it insolence could do no more macleod looked over at the dispatcher no i'm not going west rooney but if you will be good enough to stay here and find out from this man just how this railroad ought to be run i will go to bed he can tell you the microbe seems to be working in his mind right now said macleod slamming down the roll-top of his desk and with lance dunning glaring at him somewhat speechless he put on his hat and walked out of the room it was but one of many disagreeable incidents due to the loss of the bridge complications arising from the tie-up followed him at every turn it seemed as if he could not get away from trouble following trouble after forty hours further of toil relieved by four hours of sleep macleod found himself rather dead than alive back at medicine bend and in the little dining-room at marion's coming in at the cottage door on fort street he dropped into a chair the cottage rooms were empty he heard marion's voice in the front shop she was engaged with a customer putting his head on the table to wait a moment nature asserted itself and macleod fell asleep he woke hearing a voice that he had heard in dreams perhaps no other voice could have wakened him for he slept for a few minutes a death-like sleep at all events dixie dunning was in the front room and macleod heard her she was talking with marion about the burning of smoky creek bridge everyone is talking about it yet dixie was saying if i had lost my best friend i couldn't have felt worse you know my father built it i rode over there the day of the fire and down into the creek so i could look up where it stood i never realized before how high and how long it was and when i remembered how proud father always was of his work there cousin lance has often told me i sat down right on the ground and cried really the ruins were the most pathetic thing you ever saw marion with great clouds of smoke rolling up from the canyon that day the place looked so lonely when i rode away that every time i turned to look back my eyes filled with tears poor daddy i'm almost glad he didn't live to see it how times have changed in railroading haven't they mr sinclair was over just the other night and he said if they kept using this new coal in the engines they would burn up everything on the division do you know i've been waiting in town three or four hours now for cousin lance 
I feel almost like a tramp. He's coming from the west with the stock train. It was due here hours ago, but they never seem to know when anything is to get here the way things are run on the railroad now. I want to give Cousin Lance some mail before he goes through. The passenger trains crossed the creek over the switchbacks hours ago, and they say the emergency grades are first-rate, said Marion Sinclair on the defensive. The stock trains must have followed right along. Your cousin is sure to be here pretty soon. Probably Mr. McLeod will know which train he's on, and Mr. Lee telephoned that Mr. McLeod would be over here at three o'clock for his dinner. He ought to be here now. Oh, dear, then I must go. But he can probably tell you just when your cousin will be in. I wouldn't meet him for worlds. You wouldn't? Why, Mr. McLeod is delightful. Oh, not for worlds, Marion. You know he's discharging all the best of the older men, the men that have made the road everything it is, and of course we can't help sympathizing with them over our way. For my part, I think it's terrible, after a man has given all his life to building up a railroad that he should be thrown out to starve in that way by new managers, Marion. McLeod felt himself shrinking within his weary clothes. Resentment seemed to have died. He felt too exhausted to undertake controversy, even if it were to be thought of, and it was not. Nothing further was needed to complete his humiliation. He picked up his hat, and with the thought of getting out as quickly as he had come in. In rising, he swept a tumbler at his elbow from the table. The glass broke on the floor, and Marion exclaimed, "'What is that?' and started for the dining-room. It was too late to get away. McLeod stepped to the portieres of the trimming-room door and pushed them aside. Marion stood with a hat in her hand, and Dixie, sitting at the table, was looking directly at the intruder as he appeared in the doorway. She saw in him her pleasant acquaintance of the wreck at Smoky Creek, whose name she had not learned. In her surprise she rose to her feet, and Marion spoke quickly. "'Oh, Mr. McLeod, is it you? I did not hear you come in.' Dixie's face, which had lighted, became a spectacle of confusion after she heard the name. McLeod, conscious of the awkwardness of his position and the disorder of his garb, said the worst thing at once. I fear I'm inadvertently overhearing your conversation. He looked at Dixie as he spoke, chiefly because he could not help it, and this made matters hopeless. She flushed more deeply. I cannot conceive why our conversation should invite a listener. Her words did not, of course, help to steady him. I tried to get away, he stammered, when I realized I was a part of it. In any event she exclaimed hastily. If you are Mr. McLeod, I think it unpardonable to do anything like that. I am Mr. McLeod, though I should rather be anybody else, and I'm sorry that I was unable to help hearing what was said. I— Marion, will you be kind enough to give me my gloves, said Dixie, holding out her hand. Marion, having tried once or twice to intervene, stood between the firing lines in helpless amazement. Her exclamations were lost. The two before her gave no heed to ordinary intervention. McLeod flushed at being cut off, but he bowed. 
of course he said if you will listen to no explanation i can only withdraw he went back dinnerless to work all night but the switchbacks were doing capitally and all night long trains were rolling through medicine bend from the west in an endless string in the morning the yard was nearly cleared of westbound tonnage moreover the mail in the morning brought compensation a letter came from glover telling him not to worry himself to death over the tie-up and one came from bucks telling him to make ready for the building of the crawling stone line mcleod told rooney lee that if anybody asked for him to report him dead and going to bed slept twenty-four hours End of chapter 9